Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. And today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And it is my prayer that the message you are about to hear helps you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Okay. Ready? Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis chapters 46 and 47 this morning. So we're looking at a, a lot of scripture, but I want you again to see how the, the story works. And I just didn't want to break up the story because there's a lot going on here that I want you to see how it works together. So Genesis 46 and 47 is where we'll be this morning. In just a moment, I'll read to you Genesis 46 verses 1 through 4. Genesis 46, 1 through 4, as we are continuing our journey through Genesis, looking specifically at the life story of Joseph and we We are almost there. Just a couple more weeks and we will be finished with the book of Genesis. And so we spent the last year or so walking through this book together. And I hope it's been somewhat helpful for you. It's been helpful for me to walk through this book and study it and preach it. It's been really, really good. So I'm looking forward to ending it up. I'm kind of, you know, going to miss it a little bit. This has been a a lot, right? So uh, Genesis 46 verses 1 through 4 is where we are this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. Because in the seat before you, uh, down in the book rack, you will find a copy of the Bible. Grab that Bible. You're going to need it. Genesis 46. 46, 1 through 4. If you don't own a Bible, that's okay. Take that Bible home with you. Read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. Genesis 46, 1 through 4. Read that together in just a moment. So, so I know as I look across this room, I know we, we represent a lot of different stages in life, uh, but I think it's safe to say that for the most part, most of us in this room, we have some experience uh, with a job right? Uh, you, you might be retired, and so you're enjoying that season right now. Uh, maybe you are in this room, and you're like me. You're in the midst of your career. Uh, maybe you're just starting out in your career. Or maybe you're planning on having a career in the near future. Uh, we all have probably some experience with a job, and, and let's just be honest. I mean, you, you go t- to your job every day. You work and work and work, and, 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 and sometimes, right? Not my job, because I love my job, obviously, but sometimes our jobs can be a bit, what, monotonous, and, and, and just the same thing over and over again every single day and and there just comes a point in your job that you, you say you know what I just need a break we've all felt that way at work we've all had that moment where we say man I, I just been doing the same thing over and over again I, I just need a break back in the mid 1940s there was this there was this bus driver in New York City his name was William 
William had been driving buses in New York City for about 16 years. And even back in those days, even back in those days, uh, New York City was, was full of traffic. And so every day he got up early and did the same thing. He went and he, he, he drove his bus route. He would, uh, you know, exchange the money out. He would transfer people and all those kinds of things that, that a bus driver did in those days. And, and after 16 years of doing the same thing over and over again, every single day, he needed a break. And so one day, he was on his bus route. He had dropped some people off, and at this particular moment, the, the bus was empty. And so when he came to the intersection, he could make the turn and continue the bus route, but he decided not to. He turned a different direction, and he just drove. And he drove, and he drove, and he drove. And 1,300 miles later, he found himself in Florida. Now, now, William, he had a family, he had a, he had a wife and, and, and three children, and, and he didn't plan on that day, he didn't plan on that day just, just driving to Florida, but he just needed a break, and he didn't tell his wife, he didn't tell his kids, this was back before the days of cell phones, obviously, his wife couldn't get on the phone and track him or anything like that, and so, so you understand her concern when her husband doesn't come home that night or the next night, in fact, in fact two weeks later, he still hadn't come home, he was, he was down in Florida having a good old time, and, and so his wife did what any wife would do. She, she called the, the police and, you know, kind of one of those all-point bulletins to try to find him. And so they searched and searched and searched for him. And finally, they found William down in Florida. They sent officers down him to pick him up. And the, I mean, because he had stolen the bus, right? He had taken the New York City bus and drove it all the way down to Florida. And so they picked him up. They picked up the bus and they began their way back to New York. And, 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 and the police officers who escorted him back, they would never have believed what they would have found when they rode back into the streets of New York City throngs of people celebrating William because he had done it. He had done what everybody wanted to do, taken a break. In that moment, all that mattered to William was taking, taking a break and, and he had the boldness to do it. And so, so he became very quickly a local celebrity. But not only was he a local celebrity, he became a national celebrity. In fact, people began raising funds for him uh, to help him with his, his, his court expenses. They ended up dropping the case and, and he got a call. His wife was upset, you can imagine. He had been gone for two weeks, didn't tell, him, didn't tell her where he was going. But, but she quickly wasn't upset anymore when they got an all-expense paid trip to California to be on a, one, of those, one of those TV talk shows, you know? And, and, and so everybody celebrated William because he did what everybody wanted to do. He took a break. On that day, when William was in that bus and he let that, that last passenger off, all that mattered to him was him getting his break. Hey, I bet if we were to go around this room this morning, every one of you would be able to tell me what matters to you. And maybe for you, it's just taking that break. I mean, that's what matters. I've got my eye on that vacation. I can't wait to go to Disney World for the umpteenth million time. That's what I need, right? For some of you, it's something else. What matters to you is, is your family, your job, your career, your education, your friends. We can all go around the room and talk about what matters, what's important to us. And, and it's good to have things that are important to you. But, but here's the question I want to ask this morning, and it's not the question of what matters to you. The question I want to ask you this morning is what matters to God? What's important to God? What matters most to him? Because the reality is at the end of the day, what matters to God is the most important thing in the universe, right? You're, what matters to you, what's important to you, pales in comparison to what's important to God. 
And, and, and what I want for us this morning is I want us to be a people who live not for what matters to us or not what's important to us. I want us to be a people who live for what's important to God. And so what is it? What is it that matters to God? What's important to him? And how do we live for what's important to God? I think the uh, chapters we're going to look at this morning are going to help us to answer that question. In fact, what I want to show you from the chapters we're going to look at this morning, I want to show you three essentials of your faith, of your faith, that really matter to God. So take your Bibles, Genesis chapter 46, verses 1 through 4, we're going to read together. Now, I want to tell you as we get started, we are getting to the end of the book of Genesis. And what we see as we get to the end, we see this incredible story continuing to unfold. But we also see the same themes repeating themselves over and over again. And so again, we're, we're going to be looking at the story this morning, but we're going to begin again to cover some of these things that we've already talked about. So I'm not giving you this morning anything new. It's things we already talked about, but things that are, again, reiterated in the text. And so take your Bibles, Genesis 46, 1 through 4. We're going to look at this morning the essentials of your faith that matter to God. Go ahead and rise your feet as we honor the ring of God's word. Genesis 46, beginning in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. Israel set out, Israel, you know, Israel is Jacob. Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And that night God spoke to Israel in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he said. And Jacob replied, here I am. And God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you back. Joseph will close your eyes when you die. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, uh, for time to be in your word together, for time just to think about what's important to you, what matters to you, because what matters to you should matter to us. And so, Father, as we hear your word this morning, help us be a people that, that long to live our lives surrendered to you, listening to your voice and responding to you in faith and obedience. And so in these moments we have together, as we're hearing you speak, help us, Father, to listen carefully to what you're saying to us, and I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So if you've been with us for a while now, we've been walking through this story of Joseph and his brothers, and it's been a fascinating story. Uh, last week, we came to the climactic moment in the story uh, for, for, for some time now, as Joseph's brothers have come to Egypt to find grain. Joseph has hidden his identity from them. They had no idea that this man who was second in charge in Egypt was their long-lost brother. But we saw last week in chapter 45 that, that Joseph could not contain himself anymore. He revealed his identity. And once he revealed his identity to his brothers, he said to them, don't be angry, don't be scared, don't be afraid. God sent me here. Now, I know you did evil toward me, but God has done a work. He sent me here to save you. And just in that moment, the surprise, the confusion, and even the joy of seeing Joseph. They hadn't seen him in years. And knowing that the, the heart of their father would be overjoyed when he learned that Joseph was alive. And so they make their way back to the land of Canaan. And they, they tell their father Jacob, you thought he was dead. He's not. He's alive. 
Your son Joseph, you, you, you thought he was dead, but he's alive. And, and look what the text says. You come down to the end of chapter 45, and, and, and obviously Jacob is, is overwhelmed. And, 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 and he, the Bible says that when they told Jacob all that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to transport him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And then Israel said, enough. My son, Joseph, is still alive. I will go to see him before I die. He, he wants to. He wants to see his, his long-lost son, that son that he thought was dead. He wants to see Joseph. And so what Jacob does, he gets all his possessions together. He's going to make a trip to Egypt to see his son, Joseph, before he dies. And he begins that journey. And on that journey, he makes his way to Beersheba and stops in Beersheba and makes sacrifices to God. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but way back in the book of Genesis, months ago, when we studied the life of Abraham, we studied the story of Abraham taking his son Isaac to the top of a mountain and offering him up as a sacrifice to God, and God stopped him. It was in this place, Beersheba. And now here, Jacob is in Beersheba, that place where Abraham and Isaac were. And God speaks to Jacob. Now, God's spoken to Jacob before, obviously. You remember in Genesis chapter 28, in specific, one of those places where God spoke to to Jacob, and, and he saw that ladder and angels ascending and descending. And if you remember, when Jacob saw God in, in, in chapter 28 and heard God's voice, he said, this place will call, be called Bethel, house of God. Now, here we are, Beersheba, and God speaks, and look at what he says. This is interesting to me. Uh, Verse 3, God said, I am God, the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. I mean, because you would be. I mean, Egypt, it is the superpower of the world. Uh, Jacob is going to see his son, but let's be honest. He doesn't know exactly uh, what to expect when he gets to Egypt. Will the people there be hostile towards him or whatever? But, but, But God says, don't be afraid. Go to Egypt, not to see your son. I mean, that's part of it. Look at what he says. This is so interesting. For I will make you into a great nation there. Now I will go with you to Egypt. Now I'll also bring you back. Now, now, this is where it gets interesting. Because Jacob knew the plan. Jacob knew that what God was going to do through him was to establish a great nation. After all, God had changed Jacob's name to Israel. We're all familiar with the nation of Israel. Jacob is its namesake. Jacob has 12 sons. They're going to become the tribes of Israel. Jacob knows that God is going to build a great nation through him. But what's interesting is where God's going to build the nation. If you're Jacob, you think that God's going to build the nation where? In Canaan. After all, Canaan is the land of promise. Canaan is the land that God promised his his grandfather Abraham. But, But God says to Jacob, no, it's not in Canaan. I'm going to build you into a great nation in Egypt. Now, that makes no sense because you know what's in Egypt? A nation. And you don't build a nation inside of a nation. That's not a good idea, right? But this is exactly what God says to Jacob. I'm going to send you to Egypt and in Egypt, not here in Canaan, not in the land that I promised you. I'm going to bring you back here someday, but I'm going to build you into a great nation in Egypt, but don't be afraid because not only am I going to build you into a great nation there, I am going to do what? Go with you. Now, come on, we know this. All throughout the book of Genesis, we've seen that God is a God who is with his people. He was with Abraham. 
with Isaac, with Jacob. We saw it in Joseph's story that when Joseph was in the house of Potiphar and then thrown in the prison over and over again, the text says what? That God was with Joseph. God is with his people. Now, we've talked about this before because it's been in the text. It's been all over the place in the book of Genesis. But, but just remind ourselves this morning that, again, you need to know, and isn't this good, that God is with you no matter where you are. No matter if you're here in this room or you're at home with your family or you're on your job, that wherever you find yourself in life, the reality is, is that God is with you. You see, in Bethel, Jacob named that place House of God. This is where God is. He's here in Bethel, but, but Jacob's learning. No, no, God's not just in Bethel. He is wherever you go. You know what we like to call this place, don't you? When we gather and worship, you've heard pastors say this. You've heard worship leaders say this. Aren't you glad to be where? In the house of God this morning. But you know this like I do. This ain't God's home. God is is not confined to a facility. God does not live in a building on 2200 Green Ridge Road. You know this as well as I do. Where God resides is in the hearts of his people. Paul says you are the temple of God. The living God lives inside of you. You are the house of God. And that has huge implications for your life because what that means, that means that wherever you are, God is with you. And if God is with you wherever you are, now watch this. That means you have nothing to fear in this life nothing. And we are a people who, who fear. And, and I just want you to think about this. We're sometimes a people who have an unhealthy fear of God himself. Now, you know what a healthy fear of God is because the book of Proverbs and other passages talk about fearing the Lord, to recognize that he is a sovereign God who is in control of your life, and you need to reverence him. That's the kind of fear we should have of God. But, but there's this unhealthy fear that we often have when we're not careful. That, that for some of us, we think about what God is calling us to do, and we get scared. Well, what if? What if I do what God calls me to do, and he lets me down? What, what if I, I, I live for God, and it doesn't work out for me? What if? Let's talk about what you know. Let's just talk about what you know, basics of the faith. It's not possible, Right? If God is with you and God is for you, uh, then walking by faith and doing what God tells you to do will will never work out in a disaster. If you follow God by faith, knowing that he is with you and knowing that he is for you and has good for your life, then every step of faith that you take, you will always be walking in what's best for your life, you see? And so so here's the first essential I want you to understand. Here's what what matters to God. God, to, To God, it matters that you realize His presence in your life. Your realization of his presence matters to God. You knowing that, you knowing that God is with you, that he is with you, it really does matter to God. Now, for some of us, though, even though we know that intellectually, we're still sometimes eaten up with fear. Do not be afraid. So let me just ask ask you a few questions before we move on in the story. One, do you fear the unknown more than you delight in? in the known. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. You know, right, that God loves you. You know that God is with you. You know that, 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 that God is for you. You know that God has his best for you. But still, when those moments come where God asks you to take a step of faith, right? When he asks you to share the gospel with that coworker, or when he asks you maybe to move your family somewhere. I remember years ago, 
when I moved to New Orleans by myself as a single man, I knew no one in New Orleans, not a person, except for the pastor search team that had called me to serve in this little church in the middle of nowhere. But I knew something. I knew God was calling, and I knew God was with me, you see? And for you, now think about this. Every step of faith, every step of faith God calls you to take, he is on the other side of that step of faith. Every step of faith that God calls you to take, he knows what the outcome is. He not only knows what you're walking into, he knows what he's planned for you. You see what I'm saying? And so therefore, you have no need to fear the unknown. But, but oftentimes we do, don't we? That's why we hold on. We hold on to sin because I mean, what, to let go of it? I mean, I don't know if I can do that because, because what if, right? Or to, 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 to we have that call of God to, to maybe move our family or to share the gospel or, or whatever it is to serve in a different way. Uh, we say, God, I don't know, God, that, that's unknown to me. And like, like we don't believe that God knows what's best for us. And so let me just ask you, do you fear the unknown more than you delight in the known? And what you know is that God is with you. Or think about this. Do you fear losing control more than you give up control? I mean, if you think about it, that's Jacob's story. Over and over again, he's trying to hold on to control of his life, trying to control his own destiny. And that's some of us too. We're holding on to comfort. We're even holding on to some sins that we love and enjoy that we know are against the nature of God, we hold on trying to control our lives, not understanding that the more you hold on to control of your life, the more it's going to end up costing you. And, and, be, and there are going to be consequences for that. It's when you let go. It's when you let go and give God control that you experience his best for your life, you see. But we fear. We fear that God does not know how to control our lives, that he's not good at it, but he's God. Certainly he's good at it, right? Think about this. Do you fear opposition more than you rest in your position? What will people think? What will people think if I actually follow the Lord? What will people think if I take that step of faith? What will that coworker think if I actually share the gospel with him or with her? Will, will that coworker reject me? And, and all of a sudden, we, we, we care far more about what people think about us and what people think about the way we live our lives than we care about what God thinks about us and, and how we're to live our lives to honor him. And so for, for us, it's just that reminder that you don't have to fear anything in this life. You don't have to fear walking by faith. You don't have to fear trusting God. You don't have to fear, you know, the outcomes because if God is with you and God is for you, it is always best for you to walk by faith and live in obedience to his will. And God wants you to know that his presence in your life, that you, your awareness of that, it really does matter to him. We're going in February, we're going middle of the month to, to the Great Wolf Lodge. I've never been to the Great Wolf Lodge before, but I told the boys at Christmas that, that you know, instead of buying lots of gifts, we're going to take a trip to the Great Wolf Lodge. We've always wanted to go, but we've never been to the Great Wolf Lodge before. And for us, the Great Wolf Lodge is kind of the ideal water place. When we get to go in February, right? We get to go enjoy a water park in February, and it's all indoors. Some of you, how many of you been to the Great Wolf Lodge? You familiar with it? Yes, a lot of you have gone, and I've heard nothing but good things about it. So we're going to go, and we, we got this one night, and you go for one night, and you can spend two days in the, in the, uh, the water park. We got a, a deal on Groupon. I mean, we're just super excited about it. And, and one of the reasons why this place is ideal for us is, is look at my complexion, right? I mean, an inside water park where the sun's not being, I mean, my whole family, all of us, I mean, you see us, like we're like Casper the Friendly Ghost up in here, right? So, so I mean, you know, five minutes in the sun and we're just, we're just red as red can be. And so to, to go and enjoy a water park and not have to put on 100 proof sunscreen, 
oh, it's going to be a big day, right? So we're super excited about going and spend two days in the water park. So, so, so while we're in looking forward to that, to be honest with you, every time I go to Charlotte, there's this fear that begins to creep up within me, like big fear. Like I, I enjoy the city. I think it's a cool place, but, but there's always this, this, this fear that just dominates me. And I'll tell you why. Because, because of this. Because every time, every time we go to Charlotte, which isn't much, but every time we go to Charlotte, I, I know that my wife is going to want to go to that place. And, and some of you have been there before, and, and you know. You, I mean, you walk in the door, and they don't let you out. Like, you walk in, and, 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 and they, it's like three hours later, they might let you out, but they send you through this maze, and you can't find where you're going. I mean, you know, you, you have to call the police in the middle of the place because you're lost. I mean, it's just a terrible place. And, and every time we go, my wife wants to go to Ikea, and, and, and I don't. And so, so I have this fear that, that we're going to go to Great Wolf Lodge and somehow end up there. But, 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 but I found this out. Listen, this is so good. You know, listen to this. Do you know where the Great Wolf Lodge is in, in, in direction towards Ikea? They're close. Now, that sounds bad, but let me tell you why that's good. On that second day we're there, Stacy can get in the car, and she can go there all by herself. And, and, and the boys and I, we can stay at the Great Wolf Lodge. We can play in the water, and she can go there and spend all day there for all I care. She can't spend all the money there, but she can, she can spend all day there for all I care. And so now think about this. The Great Wolf Lodge has become my protector and my shield. Isn't that good, right? I have no reason to fear Charlotte anymore because of the Great Wolf Lodge, right? And I tell you that, tell you this. You have no reason to fear anything in this life because you have a real protector and you have a real shield and his name is Jesus. And God wants you to know that your realization of his presence matters to him. But let me show you something else, right? Not only does does your realization of his presence matter, your redemption for his glory matters to God. Now, this is where the story gets interesting to me. So, 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 Jacob goes, and, and you read, we're not going to spend the time reading it, but you, you read verses 8 down through 27, and you have a, a list of the names of the men who went to Egypt with Jacob. Seventy names, and, and you think about their families, I don't know, 300 or so people maybe, that, that made their way to Egypt. And in comparison uh, to the, the great nation of Egypt, I mean, this is a, a ragtag, small group of people. And there it happens. Finally, after years, Jacob is reunited with Joseph. It's a a reunion, a celebration. Tears are shed and all those things. But this is where it gets interesting. You come down uh, to verse 31. And and Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's family, 4631, I will go up and inform Pharaoh, telling him, my brothers and my father's family who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They also raise livestock. They have brought their flocks and herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh addresses you and asks, what is your occupation? You are to say your servants, both we and our ancestors, have raised livestock from our youth until now. Then you will be allowed to settle in the land of Goshen, since, listen, this is the phrase I want you to hear, since all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Joseph tells his dad we're going to go see Pharaoh and you're going to tell him you're going to tell him what our family does our family we're a bunch of shepherds and the people in Egypt they don't like shepherds because because shepherds right they're they're dirty they're not as educated and these cultured people of Egypt they, they don't like shepherds and so if we just tell the Pharaoh what we do he's going to give us land 
And, and that's what happens. They go before Pharaoh and, 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 and Jacob tells the Pharaoh exactly what his family does, that they're shepherds. And, and, and what happens is that the Pharaoh, he gives Jacob's family the land of Goshen, the farthest southern part of Egypt. And not only does he give them the land of Goshen, but think about this. He tells Jacob, oh, well, since you're shepherds, and since I trust Joseph, I trust that you can take care of my flocks. And so, so Jacob and his family, they're given charge over the flocks of Pharaoh himself. And you come down and look at what it says. You, you come to verse uh, 27 of chapter 47. Look at what it says. Israel settled in the land of Egypt. In the region of Goshen, they acquired property in it and became fruitful and very numerous. Do you see? They are put in a place, Goshen, where the Egyptians left them alone because the Egyptians didn't like shepherds. But not only did the Egyptians left them alone, they, they also had protection, right? They had protection from the surrounding nations because after all, they were watching over Pharaoh's flocks. And so here, left alone, isolated in the land of Goshen, all they had time to do was grow. And they began to prosper and prosper and become more and more numerous. And so the Hebrew people, they increased greatly, but the Egyptians began to decline. Now, let me show you this real quick. I'm not going to read all this to you, but come back to chapter 47 and look at verses 13 down through verse 26. The Egyptians are now starting to get hungry. So they, become, they come before Joseph. Joseph, we're running out of food. You've got to help us. And what they do is that they sell to Joseph their livestock and give it over to Pharaoh. And then not only that, but then they begin to deed their land over to Pharaoh in exchange for food. And they come down. You look at what it says in verse 25. Joseph, you have saved our lives, they said. We have found favor with our Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Now, this is really interesting. They begin to decline. And, and they give everything they have over to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is going to have what? More and more power. And so by the time you get to the book, now watch this, watch the connection. By the time you get to the book of Exodus, Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world. He owns everything. And he's looked to as a God. Now this is not the same Pharaoh we read about in Genesis. This is a different Pharaoh hundreds of years later. But still, the power that Pharaoh now has, which is going to create a problem. Because the, the Egyptians are going to decline. The Hebrews are going to rise up. And so when you get later in the story, some, some years later, when the Pharaoh sees how they are increasing in number, what is he going to do? Enslave the Hebrew people. And then what's going to happen? 400 years later, God's going to raise up a deliverer. And Moses is going to do what? He's going to lead these people out of Egypt and into a the wilderness, through the Red Sea, miraculously deliver them out. And then as they're traveling around, I am sure, Moses is the author of the book of Genesis, I am sure that, that, that Moses reminds them of what had happened. When he tells them this story that we've read about in Genesis chapter 46 and 47, do you remember what God did? God brought Jacob here, he brought Joseph here, and he prospered us. 
He prospered us, not just for the sake of prospering us, but to make us into a great nation that ultimately he would what? He would rescue, redeem us so he could show Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man in the world, worshiped at God, worshiped as a God, so he could show Pharaoh who the real God was, who was really in charge, so that the Hebrew people, so that even the Egyptians, because a lot of the Egyptians left as well, so that we could do what? See the glory glory of God in our redemption. You see? Years later, after what happens here in Genesis 46 and 47, God's people, the Hebrews, in the wilderness, I know they complained a lot and they fussed up, but I bet you there were times when they said, look at what God has done. And that's what God wants from you. God is arranging your life in such a way that you'll look back over the course of your life and you will say, look at what God has done, right? In the times of prosperity, look at what God has done. In the times of heartache and hardship and difficulty, look at what God has done. In all of it, God is doing a work of redemption in me for his glory. He's saving me and making me more like his son, Jesus. Look at what God has done. That is the heart cry of the follower of Jesus. Look at what God has done in my life. And God is arranging your life in such a way where you will declare, look at what God has done. Yet we are a people who constantly want to say what? Look at what I've done. I mean, I've worked hard. Look at how hard I've worked. I've been a good dad, a good wife. Look at what I've done. I've accumulated some stuff. Look at what I've done. I've caused myself to prosper. Or maybe it's something like this. When life doesn't go the way we want it to go, just look at me. Look at my misery. Look at my pity. Look at how bad my life is. Somebody just give me some attention. Let's just be honest, right? We, we are a people who are glory hounds. What I mean by that is, is, is that we want people to look at us. We want, we want attention. Look at me. And so I just want to challenge you in this way over the course of the next week. Just consider your words. And I want you to evaluate your words next week or maybe over this past week. How, how, how much of your talk was about you? About what you've done, about what you've accomplished or what you're going through? about how you feel, about whatever. How much of your talk was about you versus how much of your talk was about the one who saved you and rescued you? You see? Because, because the cry of your heart should not be, look at me, look what I've done, look at me. No, the cry of your heart as a follower of Jesus, when you understand his redemptive work in your life, should be, look at what God has done. What matters to God is that you are aware of his presence in your life. What matters to God is that you glory in his redemption. They saved you through his son, Jesus Christ, you see. And finally, what matters to God is this. Listen to this. Your role in his plan matters to God. Now, you know this. You think about Jacob. You think about Joseph. God uses both of them, doesn't he? I mean, after all, Jacob is changed to Israel. Israel is, is the namesake for this great nation. God uses Jacob. And God uses Joseph. He, he's, he's sent into the pit and, and then into, you know, a, a slavery and into the the, the a prison, and then ultimately he's raised up to second in command so that, right, 
his family could come to Egypt so that they could be saved and so that ultimately God's people could be saved. And so God uses Jacob and God uses Joseph. Let me show you something. This is real interesting to me. You come down and look at, verse 40, uh, look at chapter 47 and, and look at what it says in, in verse 9 of chapter 47. Jacob said to Pharaoh, now he's standing before Pharaoh. He says, my pilgrimage has lasted 130 years. My years have been few and hard. Now, let me give you, and I'm, I'm not a Bible translator. I don't know the Hebrew language very well. I took some classes in Hebrew, but didn't do very well in them at all. It's just not my thing. Um, I'm, I'm halfway decent in English, but not, a, but anyway. So, so, but let me just give you my translation uh, of what Jacob says here. My life has been short and my life has stunk. When he's before Pharaoh, that's what he says. I've, I've had a short and hard life. It stunk. Hasn't gone so well. And at this moment in the story, right, if I'm God, I want to reach down from heaven and just slap Jacob in the face. Because why has Jacob's life stunk? You know why Jacob's life has stunk. Because for all of his life, right, God's been using him and Jacob's been resisting him. The reason why Jacob's life has been so hard is because over and over again, he's experiencing what, church? The consequences for his own rebellion. He just can't get it right. And so when he comes before Pharaoh and he, he's reflecting on his life, my, my years, they've been short and they've been hard. Life has not been good to me. But all along the way, and Jacob can't realize it, is God had been very good to Jacob. He had been gracious to Jacob. I mean, after all, Jacob was his child. But what a contrast. Jacob says, my life stunk. Joseph, on the other hand, I mean, his life was pretty hard too, right? I mean, he, he gets thrown into a pit, wondering if he's going to die. He's sold into slavery and, and gets accused of sexual harassment. Then he's thrown into a prison and, and forgotten about. His life hadn't been easy either. Separated from his father and his family, his brothers hating him. But in chapter 45, oh, my friend, in chapter 45, when he reveals his identity to his brothers, he doesn't say, oh, my life is stunk. I mean, you sold me into, into, into slavery, and man, it's just been miserable. It had been miserable, but that's not what he said. In chapter 47, he said, no, don't be afraid. You're forgiven. God has been at work. God has sent me here to save you. Again, it's perspective. You see, Jacob was God's child. But you know how Jacob followed God? Kicking and screaming all the way. And come on now, come in real close. Let's be honest with me. Come on, you know this. That's some of you. You're God's child. You, you know you've placed your faith in him. You've seen some growth in your life. But still, you follow him kicking and screaming. Always fighting. Always wrestling always thinking you know what's best, right? Always trying to hold on to control. And yes, God is using you, but, but think about this. Are you following God, kicking and screaming, or are you embracing his will? Are you constantly complaining about God's will, or are you constantly rejoicing in God's will? Because this is Jacob towards the end of his life, man, just complaining before Pharaoh, my life has been hard. And some of you like to do that. 
You follow God kicking and screaming, and then you say things like what, church? It's not fair. I don't know why my life is so hard. I don't know why, why I struggle like I do. I mean, I, I go to church, right? But, but going to church doesn't seem to make things any better. And, and it's all because of a matter of the heart. You, you might be doing the right things. You might be showing up for church and, and maybe going on a mission trip every now and then or working with the kids or what, being a greeter or something like that. But, but, but for you, the Christian faith is about what? It's about duty. I'm doing all the right things. But the Christian faith isn't about duty at all. The Christian faith is about devotion. Knowing that God is with you in every season of your life, in every circumstance of your life, and knowing that acknowledging him and embracing his will, no matter what his will holds for your life, it's not about duty, it's about devotion. And when you make your Christian faith all about duty, you're going to be what? Following God, kicking and screaming, and you're constantly going to complain about how life doesn't work out for you, right? Think about this. Are you missing the joy of following God Or are you experiencing the joy? What about you? Because when you begin to understand that following Jesus is about devotion to him because of what he's done for you through his death and resurrection, my friend, that is joy giving. My friend, followers of Jesus, come on now, you know this. Because of what God has done for us, look at what he's done because of what he's done for us, we should be the most joyous people on the face of the planet because you are on your way to hell because of your rebellion. But because God loved you, he sent his son Jesus for you. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying to the Father before his crucifixion, he didn't say, Father, those people, those disciples are sleeping. I can't die for them. And aren't you glad he didn't save the Father? It stinks. Come on now. Really? Now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Not my will, but you will be done. Think about Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the Uh, the, The writer of Hebrews, he doesn't say this. He doesn't say, for the difficulty set before him. The cross was difficult. He doesn't say, for the hardship set before him. The cross was hard. No, no, no. What the writer of Hebrews, now watch, this is so good. What the writer of Hebrews says is for the joy. For the joy set before Jesus. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross, the joy, the joy of knowing that, that, that through his death, taking the punishment of God on himself for our sins, dying the death that we deserve through his death and ultimately through his resurrection, rising from the dead three days later, defeating sin and death for us, securing our eternal place with the God of all creation and our relationship with him for the joy set before him, the joy knowing that his work, his completed work on the cross and his resurrection would redeem us. That was the joy. Knowing that his sacrificial death and his resurrection would give us a place in the kingdom of God forever. The joy set before him. My friend, if you're living the Christian life in misery, you're missing it. Because there's nothing miserable about following Jesus. 
Oh, there's some difficulties. There's some challenges. There's some heartache for sure. But my friend, when your eyes are set on the one who went to the cross in joy for you, oh, my friend, do you see? You begin to take joy in your role in his kingdom. And, and this is what matters to God. It matters to God uh, that, that you understand your role, to be a joy-filled follower of Jesus who doesn't follow kicking and screaming, who doesn't constantly complain about how hard life is, but who looks at the Savior and says, wherever you lead, I'll go. And let's just be honest. For some of you, it's been a long time since you've said that to God. For some of you, it's been a long time since you've said, wherever you lead, I'll go. You're scared to follow him because you might have to give up something, right? You're not convinced that he's with you. You don't believe that redemption is the greatest thing ever. But when you do, when you know that he's with you, when you know that, that, that he's redeemed you, when you know that he's given you a role in his kingdom, you will gladly say with joy, wherever he leads, I'll go. As we close our time this morning, maybe you're in this room and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're watching online or you're in this room and you've never trusted Christ as Lord and your Savior of your life. This morning, believe. Believe that he died for you and rose again. And this morning, turn from your sins and give your life to him. In the, in the corners of this room are two crosses. And maybe this morning, you want to place your faith in Jesus. Uh, go to one of those crosses. There'll be someone there who wants to pray with you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, there'll be a number that pops on the screen. Text Jesus to that number, and we'll reach out to you and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. Pastor Trey will be down front. You can come talk to him. He'd love to help you begin a relationship with Jesus this morning. Maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, but as a follower of Jesus, you recognize that over the last month, two months, year, you've been following God, kicking and screaming. And maybe for you, this morning, it's the moment for you to come before God, gather around front, just as a, a, a sign of commitment to, to, to God and to our church, that God, wherever you lead, I'll go. With joy, I'm gonna answer your call. With joy, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do your will. With joy, I'm gonna be devoted for you. And I'm gonna say, look at what God has done. However God is leading you this morning, you respond to him. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for time and your word. Thank you for your, your goodness to us. Thank you, Jesus, that for the joy set before you, you went to the cross and died the death we deserve so we could have life abundant and everlasting. Now, Father, if there's a person in this room who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray that person would come this morning trusting you as Lord. And, Father, for those of us who belong to you, I pray today that we will be a people who say, wherever you lead, we will go. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.